Hello and welcome to A Moon State of Crypto Brainstorm, where we come together once a week to discuss the latest trends and analysis in the crypto world. All opinions expressed by A Moon staff or guests of the podcast are solely their own opinions. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute any form of investment advice. This podcast is powered by Blockworks Group, the only events and podcast production company I trust. For access to the premier digital asset conferences and in-depth podcast content, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. Today, we're reinvigorating the age-old discussion of active versus passive investing. But instead of looking at established traditional markets, we'll be focusing our discussion on the crypto industry. Operating in a largely unregulated environment with markets open 24-7, 365 days a year, investments in the crypto market are very different than in traditional markets. But do the core principles actually change? This is Haney Rashman, and I'm joined by Ophelia, Laurent, and Hansen from the Amun team today to answer this question. Laurent, why don't you kick off the session? Sure. Thanks, Haney. So today I wanted to chat about the uh, crypto uh, active and, and passive investment. Is there a better strategy out there? And have we seen one, if there is any one? So let me just dwell on the current situation. Uh, when we look at passive pointers today, the case for passive management is that the predominance of crypto managers have failed consistently to beat their comparative existing index. Why are they? And these are two primary suggestions I have for you. First of all, markets are somewhat inefficient and all the information that is already reflected in potentially the price in the underlying asset makes it incredibly difficult for anyone to outperform using any potential coins, predominantly the old coins that outperforms a lot more than the others. But generally, that expectation is very hard to control. Secondly, the hurdle of an elevated expense ratio typically of active managed crypto funds make it very hard uh, to match or to exceed any low expense index fund like a potential ETF or an ETP. When we look at um, active uh, side of the, uh, of the argument, active funds counter that while the crypto markets may generally efficient, uh, efficiently be um, uh, more um, delivering results, there are windows of inefficiency created by, first of all, what I call time to access, um, particularly the infrastructure, such as, for instance, uh, the exchanges using prime broker and also crypto uh, custodian that can properly reflect in the coin performance. Also, we see a lot of implementation shortfalls, such as slippage. It's very hard to capture all of this um, all of this performance um, with the current tools that are out there. Um, I also noticed talking to uh, a, a few active managers, and particularly in, in my last uh, two or three weeks where I've been um, uh, doing a, a presentation on, on active versus passive as well, that the performance is not just about the relative return, but also about managing the huge risk there are in crypto space. So for instance, if an active manager can deliver let's say, an hypothetical 90% of his return at around 70% of its risk, then would that actually constitute a measured outperformance? What, what do you guys feel about that so far? Oh, there was a lot of information out there, lots of points uh, I could touch on. Um, 
let's start with what was the last point? The last point you made was um, that they manage risk better than an active portfolio, which pretty much doesn't manage any risk, right? Exactly. Um, but then they, they charge a much higher fee for that. Usually it would be, I don't know, passive investment products. I see usually range between one to, to maximum 4% management fee, but active funds charge uh, an additional performance fee of 25%. Um, and if that was outweighs that. Um, Not to mention, Hansen, also the fact that um, there is an upfront fee as well. And then like you, um, I'm sure you're familiar, there is a holding Uh, pattern of let's say a year and your redemption might not be straight away so all of that has to be you know also factored in i think to to summarize exactly the differences between them it it seems that um passive investments is in a lot of ways much more liquid i think that that's part of what laurent was um was alluding to right because if you're directly invested in the underlying assets and in our case if you're directly invested in bitcoin and ethereum um, then you uh, have the ability to move in and out much more uh, easily than if you were uh, following a specific strategy that might need to run its course for two months, three months, four months. And so uh, redemption periods could be longer, uh, lockup periods might be longer in something like an active strategy. And so it seems that at minimum, that 1% to 4% flat fee uh, regardless of anything that, that uh, passive would charge, active would also charge in addition to a, uh, a an increased uh, lockup period, in addition to then if they are successful, which to Laurent's excellent point, oftentimes they are absolutely not. Um, oftentimes they're not even beating Bitcoin, which I think that's how you would define alpha in this market. If they are successful, then they take another... 20, 25, 30% uh, performance fee. And so overall, I think when you look at all these facts considered, it's a pretty hard case for for active strategies, especially with the lack of performance that, that we've seen. And I think something that I have been fascinated by since the beginning of the, um, the latest crypto um, bull market um, the big one, 2017, 20, uh, beginning of 2018, was this concept of dollar cost averaging as well. Um, there's an excellent website called um, DCABTC.com, I think, um, just stands for dollar cost average uh, Bitcoin. And you're able to calculate if you were just to put in the same amount on a weekly basis for the last year, you're buying at the highs, you're buying the lows, you're just averaging out your cost. How much would you um, make? And in absolute returns, I think these are the kinds of things that um, lend themselves to a more disciplined passive investment versus a more active event-driven investment. And the results, back to Laurent's point, really do speak for themselves. Um, if, if you just bought uh, Bitcoin every week, as little as $100, as little as $10, for the last year, you'd be up 49%. Mm-hmm. Um, if you bought it for the last year, two years, you'd be up to 27%. And if you bought it for the last three years, you'd be up for, um, I think over 150%, which is fascinating when you think about it, because, uh, we are, we're recording this episode on the 25th of November, 2019. 
it is a six month low in the price of Bitcoin. But if you're dollar cost averaging, you don't really uh, get impacted by um, when you come in and when you get out, um, you're just averaging it out, which I, I think is the nicest passive um uh, passive investment, uh, both strategy and rationale that, that I have come across, especially in this space. These are good points there, Hani. And um, actually, if I can just compliment on what you said based on where we are today, I think there's also a lot of drivers that have uh, created pretty much poor turnout in 2019. I mean, one of the things we can clearly say is this year, this has not really been a turbulent year in the crypto space. So obviously, our performance is going to be very hard to capture. You know, we've seen a stagnant uh, crypto market for the last six months, resulting in very little demand. And so obviously, that's that's definitely shy away some some investors. On top of this, you know, you you couple this with exorbitant fees charged by the investment in the service community, and you know, active active fund managers have had a pretty hard time trying to capture, you know, some some decent return when you. You know, factor all of the all of the performance fees and upfront fees that you've got because there's not much left at the end. And then on top of this, you know, we're still and and I think that's a, it's a very important point. We're, we're very much in in a regulatory slow decision making process still in Europe. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, regulators at the moment that are still questioning whether you know they should offer these products to either retail or even qualified investors, and that. You know, to the traditional investment space, contribute to a higher barrier, and you know something that needs to be put in perspective for institutional investors today. I think the other piece here around costs that we you know haven't really touched much on is spreads. The issues with active management in this space is the amount of slippage you're getting on trades, right? Um, and on exchange spreads for crypto can be very tight, but unless you're running a very active strategy where you're maintaining deposits and hot wallets, it can be actually very difficult to access. Uh, crypto assets at those spreads, especially if you're in the institutional market, once you start talking about going through prime brokerage and you know making significant movements in the market, it, it becomes really challenging to source that kind of liquidity, especially in alts. I think Bitcoin is somewhat of a separate case and, and maybe to some degree Ethereum is as well. But as you sort of move down the list, um, you, you start to get into some pretty liquidity constrained environments, which can in turn result in some very large fees um, on the prime brokerage or OTC side which again, make active strategies in the sector a little challenging. I think the place where we've seen active strategies do well are mostly around ARB. So this idea of acquiring Bitcoin in one jurisdiction, moving it into another, and basically doing some form of regulatory arbitrage, which has price consequences. And whether that's, um, and that's typically some of these cross-border trades that people have looked at. And I think those strategies have, you know, conversely to a lot of the points we're making, worked relatively well um, but they are operationally rather difficult to implement um, and certainly difficult to implement at scale. And I think that's the, the other point on the active strategies is that because of um, how liquidity constrains certain portions of this market can be, it can be very challenging to um, deploy large scale uh, active strategy is outside of sort of the, you know, let's call it the top five or top 10 assets. I think uh, the last point there is super, super, super um, important to, to, to say again, with respect to active um, strategies, oftentimes they are limited by the um, amount of funds you're able to deploy in such a strategy. Uh, you speak about some active sp strategies and they don't just work um, 
they don't work super well if you um, allocate too much cash towards it. And so you're often limited by how much uh, money you can put behind a strategy and uh, the high performance of it uh, remains strong. Whereas I think in passive, you're able to, generally speaking, deploy a lot more capital. I don't have the exact numbers of that in front of me, but I do remember Laurent and I did look at the numbers. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Laurent, over 60% of all crypto funds have less than 10 million AUM. And there's only a very handful of crypto funds that exceed 50 million AUM, out of which I think the majority have the added value that they get early access to to ICOs or an STO or just some uh, you know, uh, fundraising. But of the actively managed strategies, which like Ophelia said, most of them do arbitrage, uh, the funds are relatively small. And as soon as you try to deploy more than a few million capital in them, um, their models wouldn't work anymore uh, so much. Uh, yes, Hanson, that's that's correct. There's actually a bit more now. Um, so we're probably around the 70% level for less than 10 million. Um, it's it's a very good point that Ophelia just raised really on the on the ARPS trading because one of the things that you know some of the listeners might might be familiar with, particularly in terms of active strategies, is the deployment of capital when you're trading. And one of the challenge that you have today is the um, uh, the ability to use so-called PVs, prime brokers, when you want to deploy certain capital for different strategies. And one of the area of, of, um, of concern has been, in particularly when you are being different markets for inefficiencies in the pricing, where you're trying to allocate um, uh, funds from one, let's say, one wallet to another or, or one exchange to another. Sometimes that can be quite uh, challenging because you don't have that same environment that you do within a, a, a normal conventional prime brokerage business. And so, you know, again, you might miss out on some of these uh, very quick noise that you might want to capture as an active manager, which you're not being able to do because of the infrastructure available. I think the infrastructure point is an interesting one. Um, and I think we spend, you know, both on this podcast, but more broadly also in our business, we spend a lot of time talking about infrastructure. And I think there are a lot of very smart people that have spent a lot of time building out this infrastructure. But I think when it comes to active versus passive, I don't think it's only an infrastructure play here. I don't think it's a, well, if you, you know, could actually get real institutional grade custody solutions that let you transact at speeds people are more comfortable with, that that would in some way resolve a lot of these issues. I think this isn't purely an infrastructure issue. This is a, a broader combination of both a market development issue, which is crypto specific, but I also think more broadly that there are still outstanding questions about the role of active and traditional markets and whether or not those are um, ultimately successful in the long run, uh, especially things like active trading strategies, which is some of this ARP conversation that we're having. Yeah, I mean, I you know I've been doing this for quite a while, and um, you know, it, literally in terms of infrastructure. When you um, want to be an active fund manager, you generally go to a prime broker and you will be given pretty much a one-stop shop uh, for all of the uh, products that you need, whether it's access, whether it's leverage, whether it's uh, deployment of capital. You don't really have these constraints. But when you're an active uh, crypto fund manager, you have to set all of that yourselves. And generally speaking, 
you know, there's there's quite a lot of constraint. There's a lot of challenges and walls that you're confronted. And one of the major one I see is, for instance, the deployment of, of from fiat to crypto capital. Um, you know, a lot of these um, managers might not even have a bank to do that from start. And then obviously the gates to get into crypto might be a lot more challenging. So what, what I'm thinking is, um, you know, the challenges for an active fund manager is even more intense than it is in the conventional market because of these big hurdles you have just literally from the infrastructure um, set out. Um, and, and in my mind, there aren't that many. And if the ones that are actually active, they're not the ones who are promoting their business. They generally have their own money. And what I mean by own money is probably either uh, a family office or, or, or families and friends that are generally managing their own strategies. They're not really deploying uh, their funds to um, to the markets to increase it. It's generally, um, you know, mostly driven by people that have been either in the conventional market and think that they can do a much better job today in the crypto, or these have been very smart traders that think that using their own money, they can still outperform and get a better return. I share your experience, Laurent, actually. Most crypto yeah. funds that I've seen do use their own prop money uh, mainly, and maybe they have a bit of outside money. Um, but let me ask a more general question going back. yeah. So we are all worked in finance or work in finance and have we, we know how to handle private keys and stuff. But I mean, the vast majority of people out there don't, right? They, they don't understand investments. They don't understand how to read an order book even. Um, and, you know, even on an exchange, if they don't need a wallet, uh, it's difficult. For them, right now, they are faced with a choice. They can either go for an active manager or they can buy a passive, you know, like one of our ETPs with a basket or just a single underlyings. Now, we assume they don't have the expertise to know or all the time, actually, to figure out which assets to buy. Um, so it would make sense naturally to outsource this to experts, right? And those crypto funds, they usually consist of, you know, experienced investment bankers or traders and stuff who've worked for, you know, years, often have a combined, you know, decades of experience in that. I do wonder a little bit why it's, you know, if you have a room full of smart people who dedicate their entire work life to, you know, learning how to invest, how to read market signs and stuff. And still they have such difficulty to outperform the market on a consistent basis. Um, and I mean, that's actually, again, a parallel to the real world. We all know the Warren Buffett challenge where he bet a million dollars set. Uh, I think it was a Vanguard uh, S&P 500 would beat any portfolio of, of uh, you know, hedge funds. I think he compared it to a, to a funder fund of 12 uh, funds. Um, but yeah, maybe you guys can share a little bit of why you think that what's so hard for a group of people who've spent their entire, you know, career learning how to invest to consistently outperform the market. I think the issue here is consistently, right? I, I think when you talk about active, you can have a great year, you can have a great couple of years, um, but that can be very, very challenging, especially for... I think we need to segment active here, right? Active does not just mean anything. And, and I think that's where people sometimes get a little tripped up here. I think there are such things as strategies within the active world that do work very well. Um, among them, you know, these arbitrage uh, trades that we've been talking about in the crypto space, but there are also other things, right? Um, 
that historically have performed. And you can look at, you know, value investing and you can actually look at stock picking and you can look at active managers where someone is actually making a decision about how to invest. That's very different than somebody who's doing active in the sense of frequent trading. And I think for the large part, the conversation we've been having has mostly centered around people where you're dealing with active trading strategies, not just active management strategies. And, and there is a difference there. Um, I would argue that to some degree, and I, I certainly don't have the data to back this up, so I'd be curious if anybody on the line does, um, as to whether or not actively managed strategies in the ICO market, things that are going to look more like venture capital funds actually do perform and maybe do outperform um, in some capacity. And I think, candidly, it's probably a little too early to look at any of that data um, for most ICOs, uh, if, especially if you are trying to benchmark them against something like a venture capital investment with that sort of 7 to 10-year time horizon. But I think there is something to be said for, for value and for venture-style investing within crypto, especially as people look at, you know, how do you pick winning protocols? How do you think about um, some of these strategies that are maybe more actively managed, even if they're not active trading? I think a lot of our conversations around costs and around infrastructure are much more applicable to things that are active trading strategies versus things that are actively managed strategies. And I think for crypto especially, that's an important distinction. That's, um, that, that's, a, good, um, that's a good point here, Ophelia. Let, let's talk about performance, in fact, and um, where, where has you know, these funds been performing over uh, the past year? And so that gives us an idea. So... I've looked at the markets. I've looked at funds that um, have generally been um, investing in, let's say, 10 to 30 coins. And some of the names that are pretty famous are there's quite a lot actually in Switzerland. Um, and I've been comparing this with Bitcoin. So if we look at you know the Bitcoin performance over this year, it's been around about 10%, probably a bit less uh, if, we, if we consider what's happened in the last couple of days. But generally, crypto funds with an index of 30 names uh, outperform quite normal, normally um, against Bitcoin by 15, 20%. And then if we look at, um, you know, uh, a more sort of standard index 10, it's very, very much been in line with, with Bitcoin. And then if we look at the, the, the active, so, you know, on the passive side, year to date, 10, 15%. If we look on the active side, uh, again, a lot of, uh, um, of these funds, have, uh, have pretty much underperformed, um, really, if we look at historical uh, figures. And generally, they, they tend to have greater exposure, uh, let's be honest, they, they tend to have greater exposure to, to altcoins relative to Bitcoin, and therefore, naturally, have a higher risk. And so the question is, do investors who want to participate in these active funds actually get a better return and this, this has been challenging because one of the common drivers for our performance in short term, you know, has really been seen by, by passive peers, um, just, just to be on, on the safe side, uh, for the money that you're paying. So really, when you look at the type of, you know, ETF, ETPs that are out there and, and charging 250, 250 basis points, you know, in comparison for the risk that you're you've got exposed versus an active fund, you're, you're effectively paying quite quite dearly for a pretty mediocre performance. And overall, there is definitely compelling arguments and evidence that passive investments today 
you know, are, are way ahead of the active managed fund purely because of their efficiency, their cost structure, and also their, their, uh, their general return. And so that leaves a lot of, you know, question out there as to why would people actively want to, to be exposed to these active funds when there are so many constraints. I mean, if, if we look historically what, what index commodities have, 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 have produced, you know, we, we're looking at overall around 20 to 30% lower pr- profits and with approximately 10% higher costs. So then you, if you put this in perspective, you know, why would you not want to be in a, in a passive fund altogether, particularly in this very nascent asset class? I remember we had this discussion before Laurent and we actually differ in the opinion there. So your point is given, I mean, let's say you have a passive fund, you have an active fund, passive pays 2.5% management fee only, active fund pays whatever, 2% plus 20. And if they perform relatively uh, similar, um, you say most people wouldn't want to, you know, it doesn't make much sense to pay an extra 20% performance fee if the end result is quite similar uh, in both cases. I actually do yeah, I actually do think um, that most people care only about the end result. So I personally care about if I give you $100, what do I get at the end? If, if I get 110 um, with 2.5% management fee, I don't think, I, uh, and or like 115, but I have already sure. paid the 20% performance fee, I think I would choose it later. But that's just a you know, question, question of choice, really. Um, the second point I have to, was something else you said about the constraints of active funds. So I know that in the, for most passive strategies, there are constraints. Like you can't make a, you know, a top 20 coins between 10 and 15 million market cap uh, tokens. I, I would actually think that most uh, active funds probably have less restrictions uh, than the passive ones. So that may be a case for, for potential investors. That I mean, structurally, there's no reason for that to be the case. Structure. Like there, there is no way, like a fund structure, again, this is a wild generalization and there's certainly a nuance here, but generally a fund is a fund and what you put in it doesn't really matter all that much from a like access perspective. It's either a, like as long as you're talking about institutional only funds, there doesn't tend to be a ton of segmentation around, well, what can you put in it? What can't you put in it, et cetera, outside of like crypto as an asset class being an issue. But that mostly when you think about private funds has a lot to do with what was included in their original offering documents and in their benchmarks, which is different and has very little to do with some of the regulatory issues that we think about in crypto more broadly. Um, and, and Laurent, maybe you can add more color here because I think this is you know, something you probably have much more experience with than I do. But my understanding has always been that generally institutional only funds can invest in all sorts of highly esoteric products. And as long as you can include crypto in that structure for whatever reason and in whatever domicile that exists in um, and crypto is acceptable, I don't see a reason why you would see more restrictions on a passive versus an active fund, assuming they're using the same structure. Absolutely, Ophelia. And, you know, when you look at where this industry is heading, I mean, we're seeing definitely evidence that people are moving more into into passive management. And, 
you know, why would you want an outperformance of, I mean, look, at the end of the day is how much alpha are you going to get for the money that you, you're going to pay for? So ultimately, um, and, and maybe I'm, I'm speaking slightly biasedly, but there are, there are some good active um, uh, strategies out there. The only thing is, you know, they're, they're not big in size. And obviously that's, like you say, there's more restriction for institutional investors to maybe allocate some money into these small uh, active funds because um, it doesn't comply to their um, uh, overall investment strategy. And therefore, you know, the question remains, is, is it worth putting a smaller piece with a higher risk for a higher, let's say, return at a higher cost? Um, when the market is slowly moving anyway towards uh, passive management. And, and we're seeing this, you know, practically every month. If we look at the ETF industry today, uh, it is clearly moving, um, um, gathering more assets overall. I mean, we are now over, I believe, the $5 trillion mark in, in passive management, and it's not likely to, to stop any soon. So, yes, I think there is, there is um, evidence for active uh, strategies. There's some very good guys out there. Um, I don't think that they are as publicized as they should be, certainly, but mainly maybe because they don't want to show their strategies. This is, you know, let's let's be honest with ourselves. Cryptocurrencies is still very nascent, and um, a lot of people probably want to capture these performances without telling too many people out there because if they all know about it, then all that hedge is gone. So surely you might not want to tell everyone that uh, you've got a great strategy. And there are many strategies out there, but they are difficult to, to, to access. And the infrastructure, I believe, is still not quite up to date that you would obtain from a conventional active manager. I mean, I think the most obvious piece there is leverage. Like active strategies, for the most part, yeah. have an enormous amount of leverage associated with them right like hedge funds short positions all of this is extremely important um and that's really one of the key um one of the key questions i think when you talk about infrastructure what, what, Laurent, what you're talking about here this isn't purely a custody question this isn't even purely a trading infrastructure question both of which have their own issues but you're actually talking about the availability of certain types of services of course, and, and that, that plays a big role for for these managers ultimately. And you know, overall, I, I feel that um, we're likely to see more coming out there. I mean, every day we're hearing, you know, that everyone wants to, uh, uh, you know, create a, another maybe ETF or another active strategy in 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 the crypto markets. And there are all kinds of levels of sophistication um, that that is worth considering, but they all come at a cost today because, um, you know, the market is still quite young. And if I can add one more thing to it. So, so far we've been talking about purely, you know, crypto focused active strategies or passive strategies. But I mean, you know, in traditional finance, you know, the asset allocation usually is, you know, you have, I don't know, depending on your risk appetite, 30% uh, equity, well, 50% uh, bonds, uh, corporate and uh, government bonds, and then some alternative things. And passive investment products in crypto are actually ideally uh, you know, designed so they can fit into a traditional portfolio as well and be part of another active strategy that's not just focused on crypto. Right, uh, a multi-asset strategy, you know, can easily utilize one or two or three crypto ETFs uh, to build a small exposure to 
uh, in their portfolio to this asset class, and that would you know significantly change their, their their risk profile and maybe even have a positive outcome on the on the performance. Yeah, we we looked at that, Hansen, and um, you know what we looked is a, an optimized portfolio, pro mostly an, an actively managed portfolio, where uh, we suggested to put between one and five percent. Uh, with a, a passive crypto um, product such as a Bitcoin uh, ETP, and we 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 were actually quite surprised with the results where you know the returns were double and the sharp ratio was also uh, more or less double. So you know for a very small allocation um, in an active uh, strategy, including crypto, suddenly you know your your sharp ratio can actually be quite significant. So that that's a, that's another good point too. I think that for the time being. There are exceptions. Um, there always are with respect to um, some active management strategies that might work, some active managers that might be doing a great job. But I, I feel like it remains the case as it has been with traditional finance and as history has shown us with traditional financial products that generally speaking, for most capital, passive, averaged out investments are the best way to go. Um, and I, I don't know that we have really any reliable data that, that for some reason the, the crypto asset class is is an exception here. Um, if anything, I think everything we discussed uh, on this podcast in this episode has just uh, provided further evidence of that. So perhaps active strategies have a better, more guaranteed place in the future. But for now, I feel like the reliability of uh, having a higher, a high enough chance, an acceptable uh, probability of an active strategy working out is significantly lower than anything we would get from from passive in in crypto. Um, and I think that um, if you analyze everything we've 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 covered, it's it's generally quite supportive in in this conclusion. Um, I think with that we should we should wrap up. We're we're approaching forty minutes here, um, but certainly a lot of very 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 interesting um, discussion points and and things. Hopefully we can uh, use to jump off um, in other directions uh, that are related in the near future. Thank you to everyone for for tuning in and listening to this episode, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. This was it from the Amun team. Thanks for listening, and if you have any questions or would like to see your topic on our next episode, reach out to us on Twitter or LinkedIn. We'll see you next week.